Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Secret gold vaults in Asia, offshore bank accounts in tax havens, investing in timber plantations in Central America, obtaining a second passport, speaking multiple languages, and first-class travel around the world excite you, then you must pick up a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is a serial entrepreneur. His latest company is called Free Financial Self, where he helps expats eliminate money as a source of stress and gain confidence in their future finances. He has traveled to more than 32 countries so far and lived in China for three years as an expat. There he built a company which is operating called App in China, where he helps foreign companies distribute their app on the Chinese market. Please welcome to the show, Shlomo Freund. Shlomo, how are you? Hello, Mikhail. How are you? Pleasure being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Shlomo, it's been really interesting because we've had a bunch of conversations on the phone privately, and now I get to have you on the show, so I'm really excited about today. I'm very excited too. Uh, Let's see where this conversation takes us. Absolutely. Why don't you take maybe a couple of minutes and kind of go through your backstory and talk to us about how you got into personal finances and personal finances for expats, I suppose. Sure. So you mentioned briefly my China angle. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur for the past 15 years. And at the end of 2011, my wife and I decided that uh, it's a good opportunity to go and see how it is to move to China. Um, So this is... uh, I didn't know that I'm going to be uh, an entrepreneur also there, uh, but I guess somehow I can't avoid it and I opened that company there, um, that mobile company. And this is where I got to be a real expat for the first time. I traveled a lot before, but this is, you know, being in China for a few years, uh, immersing yourself, learning the language, um, figuring things out as they go, as, as many expats have. So uh, this is my expats experience the company is not related to personal finance it's related to uh, mobile app distribution but personal finance is actually a true childhood passion of mine Um, and after I didn't have I I don't have to actively day-to-day manage anymore that China company I decided to open free financial self 
to help expats with their with their finances. So that's the short story. It's a real passion of mine to to uh, work in that sector and helping expats and, and people that uh, I used to be one of them. Um, and these days, I'm kind of an expat. I'm location independent, so I'm I'm getting that feeling all the time of you know you need help with your finances. Well, that's the ultimate dream straight off the bat. You know, you've started a company and then you were able to take a step back and have someone else manage it. And and I believe, if I remember correctly, in one of our our many talks, you said you really only spend about what, like an hour a week or something, um, or even less on uh, on managing that company. You have someone else take care of everything else for you. Yeah, fortunately, I have a wonderful partner there, and uh, I'm able to really oversee the strategy and really not you know, not invest too much time with the company. And I'm really, of course, happy about that situation. And and from that, Free Financial Self was born thanks to that, basically. So with Free Financial Self, why do you think it is that personal finance is a little bit different for expats? Why can't we just go to a normal personal finance um, guru? Why would we need someone special who understands the expats um, a little bit differently? So I think that Expats in general are not as stable as other people. They need to, uh, they have a harder time uh, planning and thinking about their next steps. Um, and therefore, you know, you need that uh, push or, or help or, or advice on those certain things. Now, it doesn't mean that all the others are okay with everything happening with their finances, of course. And I, of course, as a business, had to narrow it down. And at the same, so I started working with, uh, with clients. And after a while, I realized, wow, like 95% of them are expats. And I know that mindset very well. So I probably should go and focus on that audience, which I, live, I, I used to live like them. I know them very well, and I love working with them. So why not? So all these things come together. Well, and I think that, well, at least with my experience as an expat and, and being in this space for 20 years, is that an expat is going to have a very different idea when it comes to investing. A lot of times we don't necessarily think we have to invest in our home country. Like if I speak to a Canadian, they're going to just want to invest in the property market in and around their, their house, somewhere they can drive to. Or maybe they'll be in the stock market and they'll be in the TSX. And, and if they're really going to diversify, they'll be in the New York Stock Exchange. But I think with a lot of expats, you know, they're happy to invest all over the world. I had that exact conversation with a friend two days ago. He was speaking about investing in Israel and was, you know, talking about do this, do that. And like, no, why? Why do you need to do that? That's not a good opportunity. You've got so much other better opportunities out there around the world. But, you know, people are concerned about, you know, it's far, maybe I'll need to travel, maybe I need to do this, maybe I need to do that. But there are solutions for these kind of things. We got, you know, service providers, uh, uh, lawyers, uh, you got uh, service companies. I mean, you can find your solution to make that system work for you without being too much concerned that it, this investment is not at your backyard. So, okay, so say that I was coming to you and I wanted to have some coaching. Um, on personal finance for expats, what do you think? Like the the number one, or or maybe even the top three or five uh, biggest 
problems or qualms that I would have with going forwards? Like what kind of things would you answer straight off the bat? So the most common thing I see is that people, people don't know where they're at um, in life and financially. And I'll explain. Part of eliminating that stress for money is knowing where you're heading and where you're, head, where you're at right now. Where you're heading is what's the future lifestyle or the things that you really want to get to in life. Um, and this could be a big house or this could be retiring Thailand or whatever. So first, they need to figure this out. And the next thing is taking, is, is understanding where they're at right now, how far they are from there, and then creating the plan. So I help people creating that plan in between, but the, the point A at the beginning and point B people are really not clear about. And that's really surprising because I think that's really fundamental. So that's kind of like mapping out or goal setting, trying to be very clear about what it is that you want. And that way you can actually, you know, point all your, point all your guns in that direction and start heading uh, to that type of a future. Exactly. And this is not only about, it's not only about the finances and the numbers. I do that, but I'm not a financial advisor. People ask me this. So I'm not. I'm a money coach, a money mentor, whatever word you want to use. But it's basically aligning your life and lifestyle goal, goals with your finances. It's that alignment that you need to create. So I think that a lot of times when people think of um, a financial advisor, they, they think that a financial advisor has their best interests at heart. And, and sometimes they do. But I've worked with a number of financial planners in my life and, and sat down and had coffee with them and stuff like that. And in a lot of regards, they're actually just a salesperson who has a certain type of product or several products, and they're going to try to put you into that, whether that be mutual funds or forced savings planned or, or any type of product that their company offers. Now, as a coach, um, I assume that is not the case. I, I, I believe that a coach really has their prospects' best interests at heart. And you're not taking commission for, for this type of work. I don't take commission. People pay for the service for the, the mentorship or coaching. Uh, sometimes people ask for a specific advice. Um, and then I only give advice from the things that I have experience with and I uh, invested or did. Uh, if I don't, and I still think it's a good one, I'd say it. But mm -hmm. I'd be very much, it would be, let's say, at the end of the food chain, you know, I would say, I don't have experience with this. I think this and this and this, but I would definitely try to do as little as possible from this. That's really, really important. So yeah, basically they're paying for the service. Because, you know, you, you always want the person you work with to have the same uh, goals as you do. So, you know, you would expect that a lot of these people have a fiduciary responsibility to have your best interests at heart, but it's not the case at all actually they might style themselves like that they get paid um like an mer for the the mutual fund so whether the fund does well or it does poorly it doesn't really matter to them you're still paying but i think with a coach it's like well if i get good advice and i make money then i'm going to hire the coach again and then so you get paid up front instead of these sneaky things on the back end you know i'm really into um diy approach for people i know it doesn't suit everybody 
but I would, so example, I manage my own investments. Uh, I've got an uh, IRA uh, in Israel, which is a pretty new thing. Um, and all my investments are, or let's say any, any investment that I can, I manage myself. So I buy the stock, I buy this, I do that, I research. Um, and I don't trust the people that give you those advices of, you know, buy this stock, buy that stock or people in the bank because they give bad advice. They really, really give bad advice. Not to mention, you know, commercials telling us, you know, uh, take that uh, loan and suddenly you don't have an overdraft in your account. Yeah, of course, but then you pay a lot more for the loan. Uh, but they forgot to mention this. So, yeah, I have problem with that industry. I got a problem with this. Well, and I think it's kind of funny, too, when you get financial advice from someone who is not financially free. It's like, <laughs> like you're trying to push me to do something that you don't do. Like, like next time you sit down with one of these people, ask them, like, do you have your money in this product? Is this where you put your money? And, you know, I haven't met any of them who say that they do. You know, it's like they won't put their own money into this. Yeah, but you didn't, you didn't mention the financially free. So it's also back going back to the question that we said, like where you're heading, how you define financially free and where you're at. So you can also claim that I can advise anyone because I admit I'm not yet financially free, but I'm very, very secured in the plan and where I'm heading and I know I'm going to get there. Um, and I'm not afraid to say this. And I'm also uh, not afraid to say what I'm investing in, what I, you know, what I do for that. Um, so I still see myself as eligible to do that, but I'm obviously upfront about this. Yeah, but you say that you're not financially free, but you're a full-time entrepreneur. You build your business and, and you kill what you eat. You, know? you go out into the marketplace and you provide services and, and people pay you for that. For me, that, that's financially free. You're not going to a nine to five every day. No, I don't go to a nine to five. I work to have the lifestyle that I want for myself and build for myself. And yeah, I'm very happy about it. Definitely. Definitely. So let's take a couple minutes then and talk about the lifestyle because we, I, I already know kind of some of the cool things you've done, but I want to hear some of the stories for some of the, the work trips that you've done, the workations that you've done around the world. Okay. So let's open this. Um, so first of all, when I'm telling people we went to Sri Lanka for three months, so they said, you went for work? And I'm like, no, I don't work for anyone there. I'm just working from there. And this is what more workation actually mean. It means that you're working from somewhere for a certain amount of time. Yes, it can be indefinite, but uh, we do it for two, three months every time um, where we... Uh, travel and work remotely from that place so we've done we've been to sri lanka for a few months we've, we've been to portugal we've been to thailand europe is coming up next in the next uh, uh towards the end of the summer uh, and we try to do that as much as possible with our three-year-old daughter um and this is thanks to the fact that we are working remotely that helps a lot it's not of course a necessity necessity but if you want to push this flexible lifestyle to the most, yes, you need a remote job. 
So how would this different from the quote-unquote digital nomad? So it depends how you define this. Uh, some people will call us digital nomads, but because we are um, not traveling independent, uh, uh, you know, indefinitely, sorry, indefinitely, um, and also because we are traveling slower, some, some people even call us slow mads. So it just, we like to stay in one place and get to know it very well, get to know the people, get to know the culture, get to know the restaurants around us and make friends. And this is what we've done in Sri Lanka. Um, and this is what we've done in other places too. And then do you keep a home base uh, back in Israel as well? Yes, we do keep a home base and we're coming back here uh, between the workations. See, this is totally more my style because I am, I love to travel. Like I, I travel a lot, like really a lot. But I like to come home and, you know, have my nice amenities. I've got a full bar. I've got a 70-inch, uh, you know, 4K television. I like nice things, you know. I don't want to live out of a backpack. I've been doing this for 20 years. A backpack just doesn't speak to me uh, the same way as it did when I was a teenager. So I, I like your, your style of traveling, Shlomo. I think it's very nice. I still must admit that in Israel, uh, we don't have a 48-inch TV. And we actually live in a yurt. So it's pretty, it it's, has very good vibe and it's pretty small, but we like that lifestyle. So yeah, on that point, we're not the same, Mikael. <laughs> well, and I can, hear your, I can hear the birds chirping in the background. So I, I think you must have uh, some pretty, um, some beautiful scenery there as well. Yes, it's really uh, nice and green here. Definitely, definitely. So, okay, so let's jump back into the personal finance. I want to hear some, some tips, some tricks, some actionable stuff from my listeners who are expats who are out there in the world and they want to get control over their finances. Okay, okay. So, as I mentioned before, you need that point A and point B of where you're at, where you want to go. So let's start with point B, where you want to go. Just think for yourself, uh, define your future lifestyle. What do you want to have and start and be as detailed as possible because then that would translate into a whole uh, financial plan. I hate that word, but I have to use it in lack of other words, but basically uh, know uh, what you need to do next. Another thing that you have to do is basically getting some of uh, your knowledge up with finances. It's not rocket science. You don't have to be afraid of it, but you can handle it. And once you know these few fundamentals, you can start working with them uh, to really um, get your finances on the go, let's say that. Then there will be some more steps. So you need to gather all the information that you have. So you have your, uh, your uh, you need to calculate your net worth. This is the point a that I'm talking about, where you're at right now, right? We want to go to point B, but we need to figure out what point A is. Point A is getting your net worth calculated, how much you're worth, and also how much are your expenses every month, what's the income, uh, what is your passive income, what you can eliminate. So you're, you're, you want to get that full picture of where you're at and start optimizing that. And once you gather all this information, and this is what I do with my clients, is building a plan. Is, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. You want to have this expense in 20 years, 
you need to do that. You want to have this expense in 10 years, we need to do that. But now maybe your expenses are too high, so let's work on this. So you start playing with all these numbers and figure out, okay, this is what I need to do in the next 30 years. And then do you just use spreadsheets to track all of this stuff? Or what have, what have you found the best method? Plain spreadsheets, spreadsheets, basically. That's what I use. I have a tool um, that uh, I give my clients, and I'm also happy to share with your listeners, which is for calculating how much you're worth. So you have part of that point A already set, so you can really start tracking everything. I do this every every month. I have this on updates on my on my blog, which uh, I, I'm happy to share to show how I, how I do that. And for me, that gives that confidence and not stressing over money. I know where I'm at and I know where I'm going. So it's freefinancialself.com slash EMS for expat money show freefinancialself.com slash EMS. That's the one for the tool. Perfect. So, okay. So let's, let's have a little game here. Let's, let's make up a fictitious character and, and try to figure out what a financial plan for him might be. Some kind of like a, a case study or an example. So say that I'm, you know, a young wannabe digital nomad. I do I don't know, Amazon FBA or something like that. And, uh, and I want to travel the world and I want to build this business. Where do you think the starting places would be for me? Okay, so it seems like uh, you already know more or less what your point B is, but we need to put some numbers in that, uh, in that point B. How much things will cost or at least what do you think they will cost? And also uh, many people uh, plan to have... Uh, to get married and have family and all that. So that probably also should get into account on that plan B, on that point B, because this means more, uh, this means a partner, this means, means kids, this means more expenses. But the, the thing is that you need to not go with the flow, but come from a decision point of view, okay? And this is, these are obviously big decisions, but you, you need to think about those with and sorry for diverting more than that with with people i i work with sometimes you get to a point where you really understand okay if i'm going to have let's say if i'm going to buy that house this means that in 20 years i can't uh help my kids with their wedding okay that's an example and once that you put this one uh against the other this is a decision point. So make that decision. And then you'll slowly build your plan towards that point B that you want to, that you want to work towards. Does that make sense? Yeah. So say that I was, okay, you know, 25 years old. And, and I think that at 30 years, I want to get married. You know, maybe I have a partner right now. Maybe I don't. But say that maybe in five years, I want to get married. And in three years after that, I want to have my first child, you know, these are pretty um, normal ages, I think, for these types of things. Uh, common, I guess, is maybe a better word. So how would we look at something like that then? So let's look at these uh, two life events that you spoke about. One, would, one of them would be wedding, okay? And that's supposed to, be, to happen in five years, okay? How much would that wedding is going to cost? 
does the cash flow now that you have is positive or negative to support that? And if it does, so let's start building up your finances, your finances and, and saving and investing that money towards that goal five years from now. And the same is for uh, having a child, whatever is that going to cost, or your child's wedding or your child's apartment that you want to buy for them or not, whatever. But you can play with all these numbers on different assets. So for five years, it's a little, um, I can't say it's a little hard. It's just that it, it's not a definite answer. But let's say for long term, it's easier to invest in things that are more long terms and give you more returns versus things that are short term. And then if somebody want to buy a house within a year, I'd say, okay, you probably want to leave this in cash or close to cash because you can't, you don't want to lose that money and not buying that house. So it really depends on the situation. But in the case that you said, okay, let's find how we're bringing you to these two um, life events properly instead of when you're getting there in five years, like I need $20,000. What do I do now? How about starting thinking about this now saving and then you don't need to do anything then because you have it. So what type of vehicles do you usually like for, say, a short-term, medium-term, or long-term? Like, I know for a short-term, you already mentioned maybe staying in cash, but what about the rest? I'm very, very much into the long-term, I must admit. And the, the planning part really helps with this because then you have so many things that you can, so many options out there. So you got enough statistics about stocks averages of 8 to 10% a year. Um, you've got uh, a crowd investing and in, in P2P these days. Uh, crowd investing is risky, but because we're looking at all these uh, investments long-term, if you got uh, a bump in the wing and you still have 30 years from now to invest and, and, and save from today, that's totally okay. It doesn't matter, matter that the market falling in 20%. It's okay. It doesn't really make any difference because you still have enough time in the market. So long-term is very, is very easy. Then for medium term, that would be probably bonds, although I really don't do those. I really do almost say everything is long-term for me. Okay. But so for example, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in, in the place of maybe some of my listeners that if I was 25 years old and I was traveling and I was building some type of a business. And I thought, okay, you know, in the next five years, I want to get married. And I want to, instead of being reactionary, I want to plan things out. So in that five-year space, do you think that, or I should say, would you recommend people putting money into a long-term investment like stocks? Um, I, I, in that case, and again, this is a non-financial advisor advice and on a case-by-case basis, I'd say, in general, I go with something like uh, P2P because they're so diversified and they give nice returns. So I would go with those at this, at this type of, of five years time. Okay, so break down for me then a little bit about the P2P loans because I've, I've never even done these myself. Sure. Uh, so I do mostly uh, crowd investing, which is different and gives high returns. Um, so I'll explain the difference. Crowd investing is mostly platforms that connect with companies, and these companies need loans for projects. So these would be loans from, let's say, six months to two years, and there will be um, higher returns of 15 to 21% a year 
on those investments. Okay, this is crowd investing. On the other hand, P2P is when you are, P2P is for peer-to-peer, -peer, so you're lending people. And these platforms would give your money to many, many, many other people. When I'm saying many, it can be hundreds or thousands of people. So if somebody is default on their uh, loan, again, it doesn't really matter a lot for your loan. And it's unlikely that all of them would stop paying their loan at the same time. So basically you're safe and you're, let's say, pretty safe and getting higher returns than what the banks give. And then how are these loans or these investments backed? Like what type of collateral do you take uh, when you're investing in these? So the, the, the best uh, protection there is a diversification, basically. Some of the platforms have different uh, ways to protect the, the, the investors, uh, but the, the best protection is diversifying. And this is also what, what I do. Like, so with the higher risk investments, um, the crowd investing, there would be the stocks, would be all that. These are all very diversified in different geographies and different sectors. So I'm basically, it's also a tool to protect myself. So when you invest in these things, is it like the stock market in that you are taking equity in a company or is it more like a bond where you're loaning money to the company? You're talking about the crowd investing? Yeah. Uh, you're, it's like a bond. So for now, all my investments and crowdfunding were fully paid on time, monthly, and then afterwards, I, I got the principal back. Because I'm, I'm just trying to understand how someone would default. So if someone defaults, is that because they've gone into bankruptcy or is that just because they've exited the platform and they just decide they don't want to pay you? No, so, so there, there are two, there are two uh, risks there. Let's say that you're going to a crowdfunding platform and they have 10 projects and you invested in project number Let's say you invested in all projects, okay? You wanted to diversify. And then uh, you chose one of the projects defaulted. Okay, so this is one risk, that you chose the wrong project. Okay, but so, so sorry, I want to dig in on this. How do they default? They've gone into bankruptcy or they've just decided, like the company has gone into bankruptcy or they've just decided that this project doesn't work and they default on one project or, because I think these, these layers here, it's, it's important to understand uh, for this specific investment. I understand what you're saying. So it could be that the project failed and therefore they couldn't pay the platform the money for their investors. That's how it would work. The platform, by the way, protects you. So you do have a buyback option for some kind of a penalty, uh, usually around 5%. And they also, some of them have a way to uh, repay you on the losses. But since it, at least the platforms that I am at never happened, I don't know how they'll react when it's really going to happen, if it's really going to happen. So I mentioned that one of the risks is choosing the wrong project, okay? You chose project number two and project two defaulted and you didn't get or you just got some of the, some of the money back. The other bigger risk is choosing the wrong platform. Let's say that a platform goes bankrupt, okay? So, and they don't manage this anymore. What do you do then? This is, this is again, why you diversify from, instead of one platform, you, you diversify in several. 
uh, I know people are doing, doing uh, I don't know, 20 platforms of different things. Uh, so, so they don't, and I don't count on what they're saying of how, how they protect their investors. I'm more trusting what I do and how I manage. And, and I also support that people would do that instead of saying, yeah, 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 they take care of that. They take care of that. Uh, you need to be responsible for your own decisions and money fully. So how do you choose a project yourself? What are the criteria that you would look at if you were going to put your own money into something? I basically, because these platforms so far have very good uh, uh, credentials, then I'm not scared to choose uh, high yield projects. Actually, in, in my opinion, if you're doing more, like many um, high yield or quote unquote risky projects, it's less risky than going with, let's say bonds that give you 3% a year because then you're trying to, to play it safe because in the long term you're actually losing a lot. So basically they have very good reputations and I, I felt, I feel uh, safe enough to invest in the project that they bring in. Okay, and then what are some of the platforms maybe you can share so my listeners can come and check out some of these platforms themselves? Yeah, of course. Uh, so um, one, of the, one of the, let's say the one that has the most records for now is Investio for uh, crowd investing. And uh, other two names that I can mention, and I also mentioned them on, on the updates are uh, Quetzal, which is pretty new, and the one in between called Crowdstore. And some of them, all these platforms I, are diversifying between different kinds of projects. So these could be uh, real estate projects. These could be factories. These could be uh, mining uh, cryptocurrencies farms. Uh, on the other hand, there are other platforms that maybe they'll do only real estate or they do only this or only that. So, or they only do, the, I mentioned P2P, okay? That's another example. Well, and I'll make sure that I put the links to all of these at expatmoneyshow.com underneath Shlomo's episode so that you guys can uh, check these out. Because this is, this is really interesting. I've never used any of these myself. So I, I'm interested to do a bit of research. Okay, so that's crowd investing. Now talk to me. Give me some details about the P2P and how that works. Sure. So the P2P, which because I love the crowd investing so much, I don't do personally, is more of going with... In, lend your money to people. So the platform will do this. You put in, uh, imagine that you put in $100. And then that $100, it splits your $100 with 100 people, each one of them giving them $1. But there are many, many other people like you, many, many investors that actually give that money to those lenders. So they get the money that they need and you get to, uh, on the other hand, you get to be protected by diversifying between 100 different loans. So if one will default, as example, or partly default, you'll be only 1% down or even less. So the, the, the rule is P2P is to people and crowd investing is to projects and companies. That's the best way to, to, to explain this. So... Can you do these micro amounts, like $100? Because usually when I, like I've been in the stock market for years and years, and 
although you probably could put in $100. I don't know if I've ever put in less than $1,000. Well, first of all, you can, you can buy a single stock. It's not, you know, you pay more for the, for the trading itself uh, sometimes. But with crowd investing, uh, Investio, you can invest from one euro. With Quetzal and CrowdStore, you can do from 50 euros. You, you can do really, really, really low amounts of this. And of course, when you get the payment back to your account, you can reinvest. So the next month, I have more money in the account, and then I can reinvest in another project. So as time goes by, I'm diversified in, into even more projects than I started with. And then what are the fees like on these types of things? Are they quite high, or, or how are the platforms themselves making money? So with, the, with the crowd investing, at least the ones that I'm at, uh, the investors don't pay fees. It's the, from the project that are taking the fees. Oh, interesting. Okay, so taking a couple steps back, we talked about having a plan and first and foremost, understanding where you are financially. And then if we, we use our, our make-believe uh, example here, someone who wants to get married in five years, maybe we would talk about doing either P2P or crowd investing, some type of a short to medium term investment where you're going to be able to secure your, your capital through diversification and make a, um, a decent return to get you towards your goal. What would be kind of the next step after this if you were working with a client? My new book, Expat Secrets, is based on my own experiences from traveling to more than 100 countries over the last 20 years of being an expat. There is no fluff in this book, just actionable advice from someone who leads this type of lifestyle every single day. So if you want to pay zero taxes, live overseas, and make giant piles of money, then I want you to grab a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. So let's say that you said that you'd want to have that uh, wedding. And let's say that you gave, you said, okay, there are another three or four things or whatever that you still want to do towards your life that are really important for you. And you think that right now, um, these are the things that you want to do. But then you'd see that you're actually uh, uh, spending too much money or, or maybe your, your, your company or whoever you work with uh, don't pay you enough. And then you need to make some changes in life. So you'll have to make decisions on what you need to do with that. And then again, come from a decision point of view. Is that in, are these goals important enough for me to change what I want to do right now? I assume that the answer is yes, but it doesn't necessarily have to be this way. So we would work on optimizing your income and expenses to that extent. So yeah, I'll, I'll speak with people about the different options for investing. I would not recommend a certain stock. Again, I'm not a financial advisor. But I, I know about all those different options and then from there, you can pick. And sometimes uh, you'd say, okay, it's important for me to reach that goal, that financial goal at that time. Instead, so instead of, let's say, saving an investment for three goals all at once, we'll plan that you first do the, the first one, then you'll start with the second one, and then go with the third, or whatever combination. But what I teach people is, is, you know, you have this frame, and I, or 
the, the frame is the plan and then how to change that plan within that frame after we set it for the first time. So they would know what they need to change. They can also decide, um, okay, if I'm postponing a goal in 10 years, then I'm able to take more risk with my investments. So I'd be able to put less money every, every month for that goal and I can invest and get more returns every month because again, it's a long-term and I'm safer. So you started playing with all these uh, numbers and get your optimal point saying, okay, now I'm satisfied. I know where I'm, at, where I'm at and I know where I'm going. So kind of working backwards from the end goal. Yes, it's always working backwards from the end goal. So how, and, and I'm just thinking about my own life and, and my own investments. How, how do you recommend people stay accountable and follow this plan? So it's perfect, or it's, it's wonderful that you, you set out a great plan. How do you make sure that people follow it? So for now, what I do with people that I, I have, a, it, it depends on the plan for, let's say, four to seven week one-on-one coaching. And then with some people, I saw that they might need, you know, just a kind of accountability tracking kind of session. So I would do those after the plan ends. Um, I never try doing, let's say, a year or longer than a year sessions, but I, I see your point there in keeping people account, accountable and maybe do these kind too, these, these kinds of things too. Because, yeah, I, I agree, that hards. I, I, I don't remember where I said it, but it's like we are our worst enemies at that, at that thing for our finances. It's never urgent. You always postpone it. You always like, it's always at the back of your mind. And it's so important to, to deal with it as soon as possible. Well, because I think that, uh, you know, a monthly or a six months or even annual type of a, and I, I think financials plan, financial planners call it a checkup, a financial checkup, I think is, can be very beneficial. Um, but yeah, using some type of a, a way to stay accountable. Like I've worked with, um, like I do masterminds every week with other people in the business sector. So every single month I sit down with them and, and at the end of a 60 or 90 minute call, we both write out our goals, okay, for the next six months, or sorry, the next four weeks. So I know that if I don't show up and have all my goals done for the next four weeks, that the other person on the line is going to kick my butt, you know, and it's going to be embarrassing for me. And, and I want to outdo them. So I'm, I'm making sure that I follow the plan really, really clearly. Now, this is for building my business as an entrepreneur, but I, I think that something like that in investing is also a good way to do it. How does it kick your butt? I'm interested to know. I mean, how does that happen? Well, because a lot of the entrepreneurs that I work with are very high level and, and there's always a little bit of competition. So if I show up, like I work with a Dutch guy and we talk every month and he does a million dollar business um, in coaching. And it's like, if I spend an hour or two hours with him where he normally charges $1,000 for his coaching and, and we're not paying each other, and I'm not doing my part of it, he's just not going to come to the call anymore. And I'm going to lose out on that fantastic resource and uh, you know that specialized information. He works specifically with copywriters. So you know, you know, I would have fear of loss in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So talk to me a little bit about some of the other mindset things, either problems that people have or... or or a mindset of how someone should 
try to think about things if they want to become financially independent, if they want to do these workations and, and be an entrepreneur and, and build their businesses and travel the world? What's those mindset things that people need to get right? Many people say, I can't do this because of X. And I think that they are not intentional enough about the way that they want to reach that goal. So I'll give you an example. Um, after we left China, my wife worked remotely for a Chinese company from Israel for a year. Then they uh, fired her. And then, she, again, she was working remotely. That was uh, very convenient. So she, she, again, was looking for a job. We had her first child. And the, our condition for a new job would be that has to be remote work. Now, when you're speaking with Israeli companies, they're still not into this. It's like, oh, yeah, we give people to work one day a week uh, from home. It's like, we're like, no, no, no. That's not what we mean by working remotely. It's like fully remotely. There's nothing like this. So eventually what happens is that now she's working for a company which is fully remote. They don't have offices. She is getting paid much less than what she could have been paid in Israel, but the quality of life is 10 times more. So this is what it is about being intentional. This is what it's, what's important for us, and this is what we're gearing towards. It's not only about the dollars at the end of the day coming to your account, your bank account. Well, I understand this completely because we're about to leave the Middle East and move to Panama, where the standard of living um, for my dollar is going to be so much higher. So even if I earned less money while I'm there, although I have my own business, so it doesn't really matter, but I mean, the property, my rent is going to be less. My cost of food is less. My glass of wine is less. Here in the UAE, the prices have gotten out of control. Um, so I think that in a lot of cases, people could leave Europe or North America or a high price point place, earn less money, move overseas as an expat, and still have a better standard of living. Definitely being intentional about this and saying, yes, I can solve that problem and this is a way to do it. Or maybe you can try. Maybe you'll fail, but you know that you can keep trying different things, but keep you know, moving towards your goal, whatever that is. So any other mindset things that you can think of that you've, you've seen people stumble over? So I, I got another example. People, people use it a lot. So when you're spending on something, even, even little, on the long term for let's say 30 year investments, that's a lot of money. And I'm not talking about being cheap. I'm talking about thinking about, the, the, uh, thinking about that. And many people give the example of Starbucks cup of coffee, it's only $4 a day. And it's not only those $4 or even the uh, 22 days of work in a month times $4. It's more than that because that money could have been investing, invested in 10% a year, let's say, on the stock market for the next 30 years. That's a lot of money. And that could be, I don't know, uh, another whatever, uh, another room in your future house, another whatever, uh, wedding for your child, support for your child, anything. So I prefer to have that and have another cup of coffee. And it's not about being cheap. It's about thinking about it's thinking about those ramifications. So the opportunity cost of your dollars. 
Yes, definitely. Okay, so have you found that having a network to help support you in your journey to be financially free has been beneficial to you? And like, if you have, what are some of those types of people or organizations or, or resources that people might also be able to use? So it didn't really start with a network. I started by myself. And along the way, I found friends and networks that you, that you refer to um, that really helped. So you mentioned your mastermind. And throughout the work with Free Financial Self, I, I look to speak with more people from the financial background and people that are interested in personal finance. One of those communities is called the FIRE movement. It's the, the initials is Financial Independence Retire Early. And I spoke with one guy who, after a couple of months, offered me to join a FIRE mastermind group. And this is uh, my weekly mastermind group about FIRE. And that led to being part of uh, Financial Independence Europe Week, which is a conference about FIRE people, which I was there uh, a few weeks ago. So these are my networks to exchange ideas about becoming financially independent, what does it mean to be financially independent? These are basically people talking about living a good lifestyle. And it, it, to be frank, it's not always about the money. Uh, one of the things that happened on that conference is that people on, on one of the panels, people said, you know, you should live FI, FI is financial independence. You should live FI before FI. You can build your dream lifestyle before you actually reach that goal of financial independence, you don't have to wait for that for that time. So this is the mindset of the fire movement. Okay, we'll we will uh, save as much as we can. We will invest that, uh, but we don't have to overwork. We we can build our lives the way we want. That's basically it. And this is the community that I'm very very uh, identify myself with and com and connected with. Well, and I think that's a perfect. Uh, works so much in conjunction with expats because, you know, I, I feel like from a personal standpoint, expats really are out there trying to build the life that they want. Um, otherwise, a lot of times they would just stay in their hometown. Um, they wouldn't venture overseas. You know, doing a lot of these things are difficult, but clearly we have goals and aspirations and, and want a little bit of adventure in our life. It's all about adventure. I love it. Perfect. Shlomo, I have learned heaps here. I want to go and check out these crowd investing and P2P and all these other kinds of cool alternative investments. And uh, I think I'm going to have to use your tool and, and figure out my net worth because it's been a while <laughs> since I've been tracking my own personal finance. So if my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn more about what you do, if they want to get this calculator that you mentioned earlier in the episode, where can we send them? Okay, so I'll, I'll give a few links and that won't be too confusing. Don't worry. So the first one for the tool to see how much you're worth is www.freefinancialself.com slash EMS. EMS is for expat money show. Okay, that's easy. Then my website is freefinancialself.com and the blog is freefinancialself.com slash blog. And this is where all the updates and the things that I spoke about, about the, the uh, uh, crowd invest investing and my other investment and also about my lifestyle and the things that I do uh, and how things develop, and also about that fire movement that we spoke about. I speak about that conference there. So uh, it, it all comes together there. 
people can also find me on social networks. That would be Instagram, Free Financial Self. On Facebook, it's my name. Uh, LinkedIn is my name. Uh, Twitter is Free Financial SF. I think I've said them all. <laughs> Excellent. And I do encourage people to get a hold of Shlomo. Me and Shlomo have become very good friends over the last few months. And uh, yeah, I encourage people to reach out to him. I, I look forward to come visit you in Panama. Yeah, absolutely. You're more than welcome. Anyways, Shlomo, thank you so much for your time. And I will talk to you soon, okay? It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mikael. We'll be in touch. If secret gold vaults in Asia, offshore bank accounts in tax havens, investing in timber plantations in Central America, obtaining a second passport, speaking multiple languages, and first-class travel around the world excite you, then you must pick up a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.